and welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing songwriter, producer, and band leader, it's Maurice White. The creative driving force behind the pop, R&B, funk, Afro-rock, powerhouse group Earth, Wind, and Fire, Maurice's singular pursuit of excellence brought the group to international success in the 70s and 80s, earning them... <gasps> Seven Billboard Top 10 albums, 33 Billboard Hot 100 singles, 20 Grammy nominations, and six awards as a group, an induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and with over 90 million albums sold, a place as one of the all-time highest-selling artists of the 20th century, plus the distinction of being the first African-American act to sell out the garden. And today we'll be learning all about Maurice, his spiritual journey, his songwriting style, and his diet Mm. through his book. My life with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Molly, how are you? I'm good. I'm wondering if Earth, Wind, and Fire should have three stars on the Walk of Fame: one for Earth, one for Wind, and one for Fire. Uh, it seems only fair. Yes, that's true. Just saying. Just scattered throughout the whole, all over Hollywood Boulevard, just yeah. one star that just says Earth. A surprise. Before we get into the today's episode, I feel like we should do a little bit of housekeeping. And by housekeeping, I mostly think uh, gratitude. Thank you all who for listening and tuning in to our uh, last uh, blockbuster by our standards episode uh, on Kanye West. That's we true. really appreciate all your listens. And so we naturally segue in programming from an episode with a podcast superstar guest talking about one of the most popular recording artists in a hot button current events issue. To a frontman from a group largely not known in to, by today's audience. I think this actually is more connected than you may seem to think. Kanye might not exist had it not been for the spiritual, intellectual, and sometimes physical endeavors of Maurice White. <laughs> yes, if you if you are, dear listener, a coming over from last episode and are interested in the uh, exploits of uh, black musical artists with capital B big ideas about life and big <laughs> and themselves and the world and spirituality. This episode continues that pace. But again, just thank you everybody for uh, tuning in last week, and hopefully we can keep you engaged with this app. Is it, we're gonna go on a like a really deep spiritual journey, perhaps deeper than any any before ever <laughs> stay stay and get get real deep with us yes uh so shall we dig right into it uh yes well first, well first how do you feel about earth earth wind and or fire uh i'll tell you molly i don't think i've let you in on this before i've seen earth wind and fire live in concert that's that's really something when was this this was probably in 2003 2004 at the riverbrand music center in cincinnati ohio uh i went because it was a fairly cheap concert with a few of my friends and it was Chicago and earth, wind and fire on their 2004 ish duo headlining show. Uh, I went because I was a big fan of the Chicago song 25 or six to four. That song rules. It's a fucking banger. That mm-hmm. song is dope. Uh, Chicago and earth, wind and fire have an oeuvre that's kind of all over the place. A lot of real easy listening stuff. And from my memory of this concert, a lot of the, their main sets was uh, a more like Saturday in the park feel, you know, Saturday. Yeah. You know, kind of smooth. Yeah. But I'll chill. tell you. They was both, it hype or was it chill? It was chill for the most time. And I mm. thought it was like kind of a smooth snooze as like a 17 year old pop punk head. Mm. Uh, but I'll tell you when those bands joined together for their, encore set when they both come out at once and play as one huge band 
that fucking owned. So were there like 41 people on stage? Yes. Great. There were a billion people on stage. Everybody was having the time of their lives and they sounded amazing. And I have a, a, a clip from that tour that I'm about to pull up. This is uh, them playing at the Greek theater, Chicago and Earth, Wind and Fire, live in 04, together on stage, playing 25 or 6 to 4. Great. Is this the combo of the bands? Yeah, this is all of them together. That's sick. Here we go. Uh, there are three guitar solos in this jam. Uh, there is at least a 10-person horn se- uh, section. Uh, there are three people singing. I will also say that every member of Chicago is a white guy wearing a button-up shirt. And every member of Earth, Wind, and Fire is wearing like bedazzled, bright banana yellow flared trousers. Great. A bejeweled rhinestone ruby red vest. They have serious style, uh, and always, always have. This would this would knock my teen teen socks right off. I think. Yeah. All the uh, horn players are swaying in unison right now. That's the only way. That's the only way to horn. Otherwise, you crash your your tromb into someone else's trump. Yeah, a, a tromb is a long instrument. You can't be swaying it around willy nilly. You gotta with have no choreography. You gotta, you gotta, gotta have synchronicity. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so it's the first rule of horn. I went into that concert preparing to like not give at all a shit about Earth, Wind, and Fire, and left being like, "Damn, Earth, Wind, and Fire rules." Yeah. But I have not really thought of them much uh, after that. Yeah. Uh, side note, I, I'm sure we'll get to this eventually, but going to random concerts at like summer fests in the greater Cincinnati area is where I saw many good concerts like Loverboy and Styx, both of whom I also assumed I was going into as a joke and both ended up ruling. Sometimes that's, that's the attitude you need to get your mind truly blown wide open. Um, my relationship to Earth, Wind and Fire is I know... I know the biggies, the big songs, and I don't know anything else by them. <laughs> and, you know, September, I used to work at Snapchat and would sort of get a glimpse into the way people use that app on the daily. <laughs> and I have to say that on the fateful September day in question, <laughs> people really do go fucking ham on uh, any, any kind of sort of meme-ish snaps um, to celebrate that day. Beyonce's birthday is also a, a popular one to celebrate on, on Snapchat. They're the most important band in the world one day a year. Yeah. That's which not so bad. Honestly, is a pretty great legacy. Yeah. But we'll see how they got there. We could only hope. All right, let's let's dig in. So Maurice White, he's born December 9th, 1941, in Memphis. Um his mom moves to Chicago when he's just a kid because the only job she could get was scrubbing some white folks' floor. You know, it's not a hot time in the South at this time uh, or ever. So Maurice was uh, raised by his grandmother. Um, He calls his grandmother Mama and his birth mother Mother Dear, which uh, I would find (laughs) repulsive in a uh, like a Pence situation. But it's really it's cute when he when he does it. Any any uh, poindextry white man who refers to their mother as Mother Dear. 
uh, is probably a sociopath. Yeah, but I, it's it's adorable when he does it. Um, so he's raised on uh, Mother Dear or uh, Mama loves Mahalia Jackson. Um, she loves obviously church music when they go to church every Sunday. Uh, they don't have a lot of money when they uh, in the summertime, he tries to make extra money by going to Arkansas with his aunt to pick cotton in the summer, oh 12 God. hours a day. So his first summer job was literally picking cotton. Picking cotton. Wow. Um, and, I, you know, it's a common thing in these memoirs for uh, uh, especially little boys who want to play guitar to like mow a lawn or like. Oh, someone picked soybeans or something, but this is just like an especially uh, sort of fraught visual uh, of Maurice White picking cotton. And he says he's he does this in the town Joiner, which is a town so tiny that it has a sign that says Joiner on the main road. And as soon as you pass the turn off, you are out of Joiner. <laughs> um, it's, it's basically one turn. It's a one turn. That's all you get. Otherwise, you're just fast and furious out outside of Joiner. <laughs> Uh, he says that working one day, uh, he hears a voice that he believes to be the voice of God, as you do. Mm-hmm. He said, so he hears God. God is basically, God, I think, says, stop. He's like, stop, collaborate and listen. Yes. Um, and so Maurice asks God, he's like, why do we have to die? And God says, great. Go- hear the voice of God. Get straight to the important question. Maurice does not. He's not fucking around um, at the age of like eight or nine or however old he is. God says, Maurice. Maurice, Okay, stop. I have some questions. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, God says, you will live forever. You you are immortal. So and he, he feels like a feeling of peace peacefulness when God talks to him. He's not freaked out or anything like that. When I read this, I was like, oh no, this is going to be like an extremely proselytizing Christian like memoir. Mm-hmm. Not fucking so. There's a whole lot of other spiritual delving that we'll get into. A but whole goulash of spirituality. Yeah. There's, there's cooking up a big pot. Yeah. Chicken and chicken and dumplings. I'll tell you as I was uh, listening to some Earth, Wind and Fire tracks this week to prepare for this. Uh, the thing that got me most excited about this was seeing the late 70s Earth, Wind and Fire album covers that take a hard turn into kind of ambiguous Egyptian iconography, Mm -hmm. uh, real like uh, pharaoh statues, pyramids, onks. Yeah, babe. uh, In kind of psychedelic uh, coloring. And it just made me know before we even got into this that somebody in this band has ideas about things (laughs) spoiler alert it's it's maurice Maurice white all right oh i can't wait to hear how we get to uh all these onks yes uh we're gonna take the express we're gonna take the hov lane to onk town (laughs) um so maurice he's attracted to music he starts playing drums in his school's bugle corps uh (laughs) because he likes the uniform which also Uh, seems to be a common was the worst spinoff of the emo subgenres in the late aughts oh yeah it was it was so sad and so brassy. Um, so then at this point, he's like a young sort of tweenish teen. Uh, his birth mom is like, come back to Chicago, like come to Chicago to move with me. And so he goes. And it should also be said that obviously 1958 Memphis is <laughs> not incredibly racist. He says there are nine black cops in Memphis and they aren't allowed to arrest white people. Oh my God. Um. So yeah. And he also like, he gets beat up by cops when he's on a paper route for no good reason for trying to have the nerve to try to deliver papers. Yeah. God forbid. Um. So he moves to Chicago his stepdad, who is a podiatrist, who is a very sophisticated man, according to Maurice, uh, he gets him a job he's a, at a he's hospital. A, he's a man of the foot. 
He's a man of the foot. He speaks he speaks five languages. I would say one he of speaks them. six, which is one of them is foot. foot. Yes. Um all podiatrists speak feet. Yes. Uh he's a foot whisperer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so his, his stepdad gets him a job at a hospital, but Maurice is basically just like, no, I want to play jazz music. Sorry. So he quits the hospital job. He gets into jazz full time. He dips into the nightlife scene. He says, I understood for the first time what it truly meant to be a player, showing women total courtesy on the surface, but also letting them know that I was completely incorrigible in the bedroom. <laughs> He's like... He kind of toes this line between being sort of like gentlemanly and sexy. Like he's never mm-hmm. like lewd or vulgar, but he's uh, he's got he's got something going on. Well, Madame, perchance it might interest you to know that I am, in fact, incredibly horny. <laughs> um. Yeah. The. I mean, he, I think it worked for him. Yes. However, it went down. Uh. He so he's playing regular jazz gigs. He plays uh, as a session drummer for VJ Records. Uh, his first song that he's ever a thing on is playing drums for Betty Everett's "You're No Good." That's a that's a bit of a hit, uh, which kind of gets the work flowing in. And then he plays drums on "Rescue Me" by Fontella. I assume it's Bass. Fontella should we, Bass. Should we hear a little bit of Betty Everett's "You're No Good"? Yeah, to let's hear, like, the hear first... him on the sticks. Subtle. Yeah. It's one of these like early uh, R&B songs where you can barely hear that there's a drum. Yeah. I like that it totally changes music forever when people are like, what are the drums were really, really loud? Yes. Hey, that thing that that guy is doing in the back on those uh, those big round things. I wonder if we could hear that. Yeah. Bring it to the front. Um, but Rescue Me is like a big, that's a big song. So this is so sort he, of so like Motowny adjacent. So he's becoming a, a session guy. Yes. There we go. Now we can hear that drum. All these little things I love learning in this in this show that that mm-hmm. that the That's guy him. on this song is the Earth Wind and Fire guy. Yeah. Um. His his kind of big. His bigger break in the Chicago scene is um, drumming with the Ramsey Lewis trio. Ramsey Lewis is a, a pianist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's sort of like his, not his guru, but he says, um, uh, oh, so he moved from VJ Records to, he was also, at Chess the, Records. The um, Ramsey as a session Lewis drummer. trio is a classic jazz combo name. Classic jazz combo name. Um, absolutely. So he was at Chess. He kind of saw how chess was run which is basically just like creative control and financial control or everything he's the rare musician who figures out how royalties work advances work (laughs) publishing works which is a huge advantage later on because not everyone does this almost nobody does it yeah um because it seems complicated as fuck Mm -hmm. so he he tours with Ramsey Lewis and Ramsey Lewis kind of like he's, he's incredibly shy. He says he um, sets up his symbols as bass to literally cover his drums to cover his face. (laughs) Like he just literally does not, he's not interested in the spotlight at this point. Ramsey Lewis is keep pushing him to kind of take solos and stuff like that. Uh, He also, when he's touring with Ramsey Lewis, he learns how to stay healthy. Um, He has, this guy, Fred Humphrey, which that he calls him his guru. Yes. Um, I don't really know anything about Fred Humphrey other than he was just sort of around. 
uh, and Fred Humphrey is like, you need to get your health right. Um, don't eat garbage when you're on the road. So where uh, he says, I started drinking kefir, drinking a lot of tofu or eating a lot of tofu and drinking carrot and beet juice wherever I could find it. Um, he's just <laughs> Which like, I imagine in like the late 60s. Well, I don't know. There was kind of a health boom then. There were, yeah, I think the health craze was like growing. I don't know if it was like there was definitely not a, a juice juice generation on every corner <laughs> the way there is now. You would have to stock up just gallons of carrot and beet juice. Yeah. Yeah. In like Keeps yeah, in a little portable, water bottles. Yeah, yeah, portable bottle. <laughs> and he says, so just he's canteens of beet juice. He's kind of. <laughs> he's soul. He's very much soul searching at this point. Like he's in his. At this point, he's in his mid twenties, mm-hmm. and he's like, "What am? What do I want to do?" He says he's drawn to people searching for enlightenment. So there's like these sort of Afrocentric like art center where people do yoga and you know make art, and he's hanging out there. Um, he says he calls it retreating into his own personal ashram of like just studying and reading. He reads the law. Are you familiar with the laws of success? No, but this sounds like great late 60s uh or you know early self-help stuff um yeah so the laws of success is like he says it's his personal totem uh and really it's napoleon hill it was written in the 20s 1925 and i just sampled this because honestly i was intrigued because you know i i love a little self-help whomst among us does not enjoy success i like to i like to succeed and it's a very much like, it's like a, you know, here's how to, yeah. uh, you know, be a man who can one yeah, day yeah, yeah. own your own department store. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny that like he's, he vibes with that, but yeah, yeah. he says the most important thing about the laws of success is you need to have a definite aim in your life. You can't just be kind of turning the wheels for nothing. So right. if we're, we're going to take it I into as a uh, North star, North star. Yeah. He's, you know, Maurice would, mm-hmm. would agree. Like you have to be working towards something. What is Maurice working toward? Um, in 1968, he says he decided to commit to paper my definite chief aim. This kind of visioning is the closest thing a man can ever get to giving birth. <laughs> ha- having an idea. Having a big idea. Is the same. Yeah. It's crowning. <laughs> Out it I'm, comes. My, my idea. I'm having con- idea contractions right now. Cut the cord. You know, in Eat a way, that placenta. In a way, uh, a baby is the biggest idea. A person can have it's a it's a huge idea, but uh, it's full uh, full of poop and bile. Yeah, when I when most people say giving birth, I think of as manifesting. Yes, yes, he was definitely trying to manifest at this point. Um, he gets his chart read by Chicago's top astrologer. <laughs> Every city has one, uh, and this guy says, "Whoa, son, you have no water in your chart. Only fire, air, and earth." Oh my god! If you're wondering where that came from, it's because his chart is is heavy on the the non-water uh elements fully prepared to ask why there's no water or uh earth wind and fire Mm -hmm. and you'd be like nah it's just he thought it sounded (laughs) sounded good (laughs) now he's it's It's, he's born with it uh, he maybe maybe he's born with it maybe it's maybe it's astrology uh that's great to know that there is a reason about that and i feel like that already says loads about this guy and his intentions because honestly earth Air, fire, and water. Bad name. Mm. Uh, <laughs> earth, fire, water. Like any combination of those things that's not just earth, wind, and fire. Yeah. Like there's a, a cadence to that. Yeah. It it rolls. It's just enough. It's not too much. Earth, air, and fire. Like feel there's too many yeah. like glottal stops in that. Wind. Wind. 
wind. Get that wind blowing. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what does he want? What's his, what's his definite chief aim in life? He says he wants to have a band that could express how I felt about life, how I felt about God, how I felt about identity and how I felt about love. Uh, a band that expresses that music can uplift people and that all spiritual paths have a unity. Wow. He's he, looking for that DHM. He's looking for that, that DHM, the deep hidden meaning. Uh, he's he's trying to create a vibe. He is trying to create a vibe. That's a lot of things to ask from a band from the beginning, but I guess that's what you got to do to sell 90 million records. Here's what's crazy to me. So he has this whole, I feel like a lot of people that I've read in these memoirs, they sort of follow into it. They fall into a band. They happen to know some people like, oh, I like playing music or, oh, I'm literally not fit for anything else in society besides <laughs> yes. this. And Morris White is like, I could have been a doctor <laughs> instead. Uh, I had this very specific spiritual vision for this band that I'm laying out before I even hire another person. <laughs> but like he's going to he's going to lead it. And I also think that the amazing thing is that it's the late 60s. He's gone deep down the woo woo train <laughs> in a lot of ways. And yet. It, this is all done with like what I consider to be a remarkable lack of ego. Mm-hmm. He, he, it's not just like I Maurice white am going to come up with this shit. He's just like, no, I, this is just what I want to do. He always saying it, the whole thing is motivated by the idea of to be successful. You have to have a destination. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The destination it, is, what, is what's important. Not Maurice white taking yeah. you there. I also think that it's helpful to come up as a session guy. Cause you know, you learn about being in a band before you become a superstar. I mean, we were talking mm-hmm. about that as a difficulty for, uh, uh, you know, re- reading about some of these early shows that some of these like SoundCloud rap guys are doing. Like yeah. when you are just go purely from alone in your room to having to entertain a whole bunch of people and put like a show together, mm-hmm. there can be a little difficulty when you haven't like done the show yeah. work. Yeah. It's, it's all got to coincide. Um, so he moves to LA, uh, at age 28, which he's not like a young little snapper either. I mean, I know 28 is young, but like, it's not like he's like 18 and dropped out of high school or whatever. Um, his prior band or the band that he was last in the salty peppers, they become (laughs) earth, wind and fire, red, hot, salty peppers, red, hot, salty peppers, salt, white, white salt. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So he he brings his bro in and then his other bro eventually comes to to drum in it. Um, They signed to a label. They record their first album in 1971. You can fill out your first band with your family members. It's, you know, nothing. There's nothing like fam to to have your back. Yeah. Nothing like fam for a jam. (laughs) I love a fam jam Um, at their early shows. So they basically start playing live shows immediately, too. Um, the whole band would be sitting in Lotus position when the curtain came up, which really like freaked people out. He said, we were laying a cosmic spiritual thing um, on the audiences in places like New York, Philly, Detroit. Uh, his goal, he says, is like he wants an integrated audience, like half black, half white. That's his that's his goal. Wow. Um, he's not interested in being just a music for black people. Uh, he wants it to be for all people, but also sort of honor black people specifically is how I understand it, um, which is cool. He also, so <laughs> there's a great anecdote. They open for Uriah Heep okay. early on, which they are like British and yes, m- like metal, like, yes. right? Like a, like a heavy British rock band. And so Maurice is like stoked. He's saying, like, great. This kind of shows that we're not, we don't want to be limited by genre 
in terms of our audience. So what they do is they go so hard, they play so hard to open every night for Uriah Heep that the audience just is worn out. Like they totally destroy the audience from dancing and cheering and moving their butts. And so by the time Uriah Heep comes on, they've got nothing left for Uriah Heep. And so they get kicked off the tour after like a month. <laughs> they go too hard for the heaps. This is The Wizard by Uriah Heep. Got it. You know, it's got that kind of uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien aspect of Led Zeppelin. It's not bad. Don't you hate heard it this. when the wizards come over and drink all your wine? Drunk wizard. This is uh, what I would call van rock. Van rock. You got this blasting. You got a you got a sweet van. You're 18 years old. You're tooling around. I don't know Milwaukee. It's 1971. Get the heap out. Get the heap out. Get that heap heap that heap on me. Um. Yeah. I think so. They funk too hard. They're too hype for heap. Too hype for the heap. Uh. So they they have a couple of albums that don't really sell that well. But in 1972, well, look, actually, I want to. Take a minute and look at uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire's first album, Great. because I think it'll show where their head is at before they kind of really commercialize it. Cool. Uh, this is a five-track album. It's called "The Need of Love," 1971. Uh, the titles of the songs are "Energy," "Beauty," mm-hmm. "Everything Is Everything." Great Lauren Hill song. So here's a, a little bit into the first, the title track, "Energy." This is a nine minute 40 second long song i'm just gonna sing uh skip to the middle of it and see i listened to this the other day so this is great yeah. this sounds a little bit like funkadelic in here mm-hmm. but i think i think there were some other parts of this that were very wooey what was what was the one this song is, that was great? The like seventies incident or something? The Hall and Oates oh, song. The seventies situation. The seventies situation. Would you say this is a seventies situation? This is a seventies situation. It's a very different kind of seventies situation than the the Hall and Oates one, but this is a seventies situation. Great. It was like, oh, let's have an R and B jam that go- devolves into a like seven minute long like, free, free jazz. jazz solo. Maurice is a jazz jazz, a jazz boy. boy. Yeah. But he, I just wanted to bring this up because. I, from my understanding, this is like where he comes from, and then he totally figures out how to like weaponize this. Yes, just make it make it tighter and groovier. I can only assume. Three um, minutes. It goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Maybe, maybe a some solo. bongos. <laughs> maybe some bongos. <laughs> chorus, chorus, chorus. Maybe an outro. Yes. Um. So head to the sky is their first uh, album that goes gold, and evil is the first single. Do we want to cue that up? Oh yeah, we got it right here. This is from 1973. So this is their fourth album. Yeah. In two years or so, they're churning out material. Yeah. They don't have any problems with output. No. But again, I think that that's kind of that like jazz roots session guy workman like. Not being too precious about, you know, putting out a seven song album. Mm -hmm. Kanye. (laughs) He hasn't done it yet. So I can't really say either way. All right, we get it. You're warming up the band. We get it. You're 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 vibing. 
There are, I'm just imagining them all levitating in Lotus position right now. Yeah. Oh, yes. Hell yeah. Oh, man. Now we got a groove going. That clavitone just noodling away in the background. Such a nice song about evil. (laughs) Oh, man. I like everything about this. Yeah. This is just the right amount of smooth for me uh, and just the right amount of funk into a, a like classic FM radio single. Yeah. So the evil, those- evil running through our brain, we and evil are about the same. Uh, maybe if we learn to pray, life would give us sunshiny days. Mm. Mm. Spiritual, but not too spiritual. Yeah, sort of open-ended. And even coming back here to their first single, you hear that like, those back backing harmonies they have that lilting tone to them the yeah. banana, uh, <laughs> thing that is you know every one of their massive hit songs yes like that is that is one of the key sig- signature things that this band does the old gl- glissando is, is that what it's called maybe something like that uh, um maurice is also continuing his spiritual journey he Ooh. says i wanted to be i included this quote for a reason i wanted to be truly free of the limitations handed down to me by the dominant culture. I wanted to be free in my mind and in my spirit. Free thought. Free thought much? Free thought much? You got to be free from the dominant thought of the culture. And there's, I think, a right... Well, maybe it's not for me to say whether there's a right or a wrong way to eat that particular Maurice's. But uh, uh, I think he's going about it in a very healthy, open-minded way. Also, not endorsing any fascists in the process, which is a nice. Yeah, uh, that is true. Just like, He's nice just drinking bonus. a lot of beet juice. Yeah. Sometimes you got to drink the beet juice to really go on the journey. You know? I can fully say, like, I I endorse beet juice wholeheartedly. I drank it a lot one winter when I, and I just never got sick. So that I'm gonna give beets a two thumbs up. <laughs> two thumbs up for beets. I think they're super super rich in antioxidants. Um. Anyway. Uh. Mighty Mighty is their breakout single, like truly breakout single, and this is in 1974. Off of Open Your Eyes, the t- the first track. Yes. This is like some people at their label called this, I, I think one of their, like a dude at CBS was like called this Mighty Mighty Kill the Whitey oh, because God. it has like a black empowerment theme, God forbid. And he's just like, yeah, no, I think this this is this is fine. It's not what that's about. I mean, this is a great jam. I I kind of because most of what I know of them is from their uh, bigger singles. Never mm-hmm. realized how close they were to one of my all time favorites, Parliament Funkadelic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, some of this earlier album stuff sounds very close to uh, the trajectory that Funkadelic and Parliament went on. Yes, uh, during this time, they s- except without the wild sci-fi uh, mytho cosmology that they wrote. Parliament wrote into all their songs. Got it. Um, he he uh, Maurice references an incident where they 
play the same bill as Parliament Funkadelic yeah. and they just get smoked by them. <laughs> like they were kind of, and I think honestly, P-Funk might have like uh, sparked them to get a little tighter, a little groovier, a little more aggressive yeah. um, because they definitely had the hippy dippy relaxed groove going on. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh wait, George Clinton just like crushed everybody with the sheer force of his intensity. Maybe we should try that. <laughs> I mean, that's a good takeaway from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are a wild band. Yes. Weird, wild stuff. <laughs> um, they also, at this point, they, they open for War, which are, you know, their contemporaries. Mm-hmm. War has bigger songs at this point. Um, but they, uh, Maurice says they burn the stage to a crisp. And he said the word got around quickly. You never want to follow Earth, Wind & Fire, whether you're a rock, pop, or soul act. Hell yeah. So they're getting real real tight live. I love this reputation they're building of smoking their their tight yeah. band. Yeah, I love it too. That's a major flex. It is. And soon, you know, soon they won't be opening for anybody. They will open for themselves. Uh, they their next album is uh, or the next album of note, I should say, is that's the way of the world. It's the next album. It's 1975. And so this is a, like a semi. It basically serves as sort of the soundtrack to a movie of the same name, mm-hmm. uh, which a couple of the band members have cameos in. Great. So it seems like this was something that they tried to do a lot more Synergy, baby. Of, in the, uh, a few decades ago of just like, you know, movies and music should go hand in hand. And this album should be the soundtrack to this movie, whatever. Uh, the movie was a total failure. <laughs> uh, Maurice says we look like clowns, like idiots, <laughs> but the album was really, really good. And it has uh shining star and reasons, which are two of their really, really big ones. Oh, let's listen to some shining star because the song fucking rules. What a fucking riff. Holly Rhythms. This is a real 70s situation. This is a real 70s situation. I mean, Earth, Wind & Fire might be low-key one of the most 70s band mm. bands. Mm-hmm. Uh They've also, I assume, are one of the most sampled bands of all time. Yeah, I was actually just looking up, uh, poking into whether like Kanye has ever sampled Earth, Wind, and Fire, mm-hmm. and it it looks like he maybe did on a song called "Glow." Un- unclear. Um, I'll have to fact check myself there, but yes, they are sampled a lot. Yeah, I'm just scrolling down their page on WhoSampled.com. Uh, which is a really cool site. I don't know if you've ever been there, but they you no. can use it to track which songs are referenced and which other songs, musically or otherwise. Um, and just single or song after song has uh, three, four, seven, seventeen, twenty-five different songs that sample it. And Damn. there are over nine pages of Earth, Wind, and Fire tracks. Damn. Referenced on this uh, on this page, so. They're a very highly referenced group. Mm-hmm. Um, this is and this is also when they build their really big horn sound, which becomes a signature for them. Yes. Maurice White l- later says that it's the easiest way to eventually sound like you're copying Earth, Wind, and Fire, just by having a lot of big, big horns. Mm-hmm. Um, th- at this point with this album, the band is the first black act to top the Billboard pop single and album charts simultaneously. Hell yeah, sweet, nineteen seventy five. Um, they tour Europe with Again, Santana. I, I listed off a, a list of their accomplishments at the mm-hmm. beginning, but I think it's worth underscoring maybe here at the top of their success. 
and as we keep going over their next run of eight or so years, that this is one of the biggest, biggest. bands. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, other than September, which has its, its legacy, uh, a lot of their other songs, you know, they're, they're more of like, Oh, that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like their name brand reputation has diminished precipitously over the last, you know, 20 or so years, uh, as they, you know, stopped being a thing. Yeah. But uh, for their time and in their influence, I think they have one of, you know, just in my precursory research for this, like one of the biggest footprints of these kinds of acts. Yeah. I think they get considered oldies, whereas other white rock acts from the same era are considered classics. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. It also might be a little bit of the thing that other bands that we've talked about get written off for in that their music is of a quality that could be considered intergenerational. Yes. You know, uh, and that often, while allowing for massive commercial success, uh, doesn't necessarily lead to strong legacies. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. So they go on tour with Santana. They have a great time in Europe, uh, and <laughs> they mean, that come. Sounds like a great time. They come home. Santana, 1975, Europe. Yeah, sign me up. They they liked uh, they liked playing with Santana. Um, they come home and they play a show in Virginia, and they uh, one of the members says, "We've just got to say that America is the greatest country in the world." And he says, "The 50 percent black audience shouted out, boo, boo.' Oh, no. <laughs> he like he kind of. I feel like he exists in this particular sphere where." He, he has a sort of bird's eye view of the culture that he's trying to span, but at the same time, maybe sometimes forgets that life really sucks for black people in America yeah. in the seventies and like continues on. That sounds very tense. Yeah. Um, so that's something that he kind of particularly has to navigate. Uh, but he says that the band has kind of never been stronger. We were an R&B band. We were a jazz band. We were a pop band. We were a world music band. We were an Afro Cuban band. We were feeling the power of our musical diversity. You know, again, another thing I picked out of the research of this is Miles Davis citing Earth, Wind & Fire, I believe around this time, as his favorite band, given the justification, and I'm paraphrasing here, but being like, they they have everything. They they do everything. They're they're all, they're an all band. Yes. Um, All, I had this near the end of the notes because, uh... (laughs) Maurice actually becomes friends with Miles Davis uh-huh. in the 80s, kind of when the band starts to uh, die, die down a bit. And uh, he says that Miles will do things like call him on the phone and say, yo, motherfucker, it's Miles. Where did you get those yellow leather pants that you had on in Belgium? <laughs> and then it's normal, normal stuff. And then Maurice would say there it was those were custom. And then uh, Miles Davis would hang up on him. <laughs> Hey man, you want to like maybe later you want to like go get a oh, oh he's no. gone. You went to go find the Yo, I need those pants. You know who else got custom leather suits? <laughs> John Oates. John Oates. Damn. 80s are crazy. Everyone's walking around in a custom leather That's suit. That's fucking true. You know who else had a custom leather suit? Who? Eddie Murphy, wrong. Oh yeah. God. That needs to come back. Custom the, leather the suits. The suit, not not the material in raw. Yeah. Uh Very very good. Very problematic. Yes. Um Very funny. 1976, the album Spirit starts to push the envelope even more. What happens to Maurice between 1975 and 1976 that generates the imagery around Spirit? Well, he says, uh, Spirit introduced our public persona as sons of a royal and noble Africa. Here we go. Yeah. He's he's still, you know, he's getting deeper into his studies 
um, he's getting more into like Egyptology and um, even like UFOs at this point. Like he's mm-hmm. just he's just going deep. He's catching a vibe. Yeah, because the cover of That's the Way of the World is like guys with bell bottoms and afros kind of posing coolly staring you down in the camera. And the cover for Spirit is the entire band in all white arranged in sitting position in front of three glowing pyramids. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> forming a pyramid themselves, the band on a kind of ambiguous techno uh, futuristic white plane. This is something we're like, whoa, they're, they're onto something here. I, yes. I mean, it sounds like, Honestly, it sounds like techno or Afrofuturistic and kind of like a Black Panther, the movie kind of way mm-hmm. in the same like genre. Oh, of, oh yeah. I, yes. Of of that kind of pop. That Wakanda, yeah. uh, Wakanda core. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. They're definitely on on to to that. Um, I think it looks cool as hell. Yeah. The next few album covers are fucking great. <laughs> um, so and he says that at this point, this is when uh, they in the press, they start to get called things like acetic. Uh, in terms of, you know, God forbid, uh, black people ha- be interested in their history or portray themselves in any other way. Or try other- to fold that at all into their feel good pop music. Yeah. He's, you know, I think he, one important thing that he did with Earth, Wind, and Fire was sort of question black masculinity and what it meant. Like, mm-hmm. you can be sort of like a weird dude standing in front of a pyramid. <laughs> 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 and oh, by the way, the pyramids uh, extend to their set, their stage set, where they get uh, pyramids with hydraulic doors Fuck. that they can bust out yes. of. Yes. Again, it's probably, probably something that at Parliament kind of uh, influenced them on because, you know, George Clinton used to descend from a UFO from the sky and get out of that. I'm kind of surprised that. Is George Clinton like what you know more about him than I do? Yes. Like, is he fun to hang out with? Like, why isn't Maurice hanging out with George Clinton? I feel like George Clinton's on his own trip. Man. Yeah. I, I, I think that he, he's had personal up and downs, and I think a lot more as time went on. But I, I think that they were just more of a, a wild bunch in mm-hmm. general. I actually don't know a lot about George Clinton's personal dealings in the 70s and 80s, as much as I know about the cosmology of you know, the star child and the bop gun and, you know, syndrome of the actual albums themselves. Okay. Uh, but uh, let's listen to a little, the title, the band's title track. This is the track earth, wind and fire off of spirit. Wait, what? Yeah. They have, wait, they have a song called earth, wind and fire. Yeah. That mean that puts them in my favorite category of bands who have songs that are called the band's name. What other bands fall in that category? Uh, obviously wait, bad company, bad company. Actually, to answer my own question about why Maurice White wouldn't be friends with George Clinton, he's also, Maurice is a very private guy. When they do these tours, like, he's going home at the end of the night. He doesn't do drugs. He said that he smoked pot and it made him feel like a blanket was over his head, so he stopped. I don't think he boozes. Like, he just... Having a blanket, saying that smoking pot feels like having a blanket over your brain is something that I have said to somebody. Really? (laughs) Kind of a see. I feel like bands that have songs named after the band. You what kind of want it to have like a real statement uh, mm. song about it. This is kind of like a real chill. Like it is like two two thirds of the way through the album, and it feels like a two thirds of the way through the album song. Yeah, like, we're gonna relax a little bit. Just hold back. Just it's do a, a real ego, egoless. Song. It's yeah. a it's a song with a band name, but it's not not assertive in that particular way. We're talking about bands like 
Atari Teenage Riot with their song Atari Teenage Riot. We're talking about Bad Religion with their song Bad Religion. Bell and Sebastian song Bell and Sebastian. Mm. Black Sabbath song Black Sabbath. I forgot that Black Sabbath had the song Black Sabbath. Green Day song Green Day. What? I didn't know about that one. Iron Maiden song Iron Maiden. We're talking about Cool in the Gang's Cool in the Gang. <laughs> cool in the Gang corporate anthem. Wait, it's, what? It's is it called corporate anthem? No, diva is a song called diva corporate okay. anthem. Okay, well that that technically puts them in there too. Um, Cardi B kind of fits in there in, in the that sense that every, every Bar- song is Barty, mostly Cardi. Yeah, Mo- it, she she has Cardi in in a lot of her song titles. I feel she has Cardi in a lot of her lyrics as well. Yeah, have I mentioned this on the pod before that I I, I enjoy Cardi B a lot, but you might, in my opinion have the highest ratio of her own name to total song lyrics. Yeah. Like every Cardi B song, again, I like, but always kind of sounds like Cardi B, Cardi B, Cardi. Cardi B, Cardi. Cardi just rhymes with so many things, though. Yeah. Like Party, Bacardi, Ferrari. Kind of, it kind of rhymes with Ms. Molly. She makes it rhyme with Molly. Mizrahi. <laughs> Isaac Mizrahi. Yeah. I don't know if she's done that one. He's kind of, I that's feel like good. it's not that's really good, happening right now. That's a good third album rhyme for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think anyone's wearing Isaac Mizrahi though, but that's a, that's a conversation for another day. Uh, I want to explain, take a little detour to explain the live shows of Earth, Wind & Fire because yes, by the mid 70s, they are on one. Uh, okay, great. And so this is Maurice just being like, we want to give people an amazing experience. So he literally spends money from his own pocket on his tours. This is kind of unheard of. Usually uh, labels do that. The reason he and, you know, the label would pay for like a pretty bare bones tour. You go on stage, you play your instruments, you go home. He's like, no, we, we need amazing sound. We need stage sets. We need all this shit. Um, so he and because he gets most of the songwriting like publishing dollars and he hired like his band or hired guns, um, even though they're all, you know, uh, they're all bros. So he uses live shows as an excuse to pay. It's basically a way for him to pay his band more money. Sure. Like that's where they earn their like money. Very... Sorry, it took me like eight million years to describe that. The no, no, no. the bread and butter for the band is the tours, which is a very 2018 or like the yes. last 10 years way of thinking about it. Because they're this. not getting royalties, basically, right. um, or not a huge percentage thereof. So Maurice is like, I'm the band leader. I want the show to rule, and I want everyone to get paid well. Yes. Um, he he says that do, paying out of his own pocket eventually becomes a, a psychological burden. Uh, <laughs> not he, a financial burden, a psychological burden. And a financial burden. <laughs> 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 Let me be clear. It is a financial burden as well. Um, he brings in magician. <laughs> On a not on the spirit tour, but on the tour after that, Doug Henning. Oh yeah, Doug Henning. Are you familiar with Doug Henning? Oh yeah. Uh Blink a patch on fucking nerd poker. This is a podcast reference. You always make fun of Doug Henning. Yeah, he's like a cheesy seventies uh magician. He brings he's Doug like a Henning. TV magician. He would do like the Tonight Show and stuff like that. He also brings David Copperfield on a future tour. A, a young David Copperfield. Young David Copperfield. Um uh, that is a fucking a bold move. I've never seen stage magic at a uh well, I think that there's a very thin difference between high level stage magic mm-hmm. and like tour things because sure. you're using like apparatuses to do people things. disappearing into puffs of smoke. Yeah, and stuff. stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I have never seen magic 
Uh, more magic and stage more shows. More magic and stage shows. That would actually be a huge zag if someone yeah, did that just now. All, just every song ends in a magic trick. I think maybe... That the- would, talk about a fucking Vegas show. Get like Panic at the Disco to do a <laughs> Vegas set where every they song... They already dress like magicians. Where every song ends in a huge magic trick where that one of them like levitates or disappears or like turns into fucking doves or something. Oh my God. Here's my theory on why people are not doing this because all the most high profile magicians are probably way too expensive to yes. take on tour. You have to really nicheify and be like at that level, like I am a magician and my entire act is a magician. I'm not a magician's consultant. I'm like my own guy. Yeah. So someone needs to, yeah, catch someone where they're so maybe they have like 20,000 Instagram followers. <laughs> are there magicians on social? I have so many follow questions that I'm oh going to have to dive into. The world of, of professional magic. I will also, I want to take it back to uh, two years ago when they were trying to figure out who was going to replace Beyonce at Coachella. And I said, uh, only magician. Chris Angel will do. <laughs> if Beyonce is not going to be there, just mind freak or bust. Just mind freak. Oh, yeah, um, I'm going to go see a live show where somebody stays underwater the entire show. That's like the Chris Angel act. That sounds kind of good. Kind of kind of brutal. Brutal. Uh, the Another tour anecdote. He says when one of his future tours requires, because the stage set is so large, adding a bunch of extra semi-trucks, the band buys the trucks outright and starts a trucking company. Hell Yes. Yes, that's great. That's, that's right. like the fucking MRI machines. Yeah, when when in doubt, sees the, the means of production. The, kind of the chic, chic imaging, imaging LTD. services where a chic licensed a bunch of MRIs as a way to get a second cash flow. Yes, yeah. Yeah, they also yeah rare stamps and those are you know you got to start generating passive income. Yes, exactly. Have you ever buy, read a financial blog? Go buy a truck. Buy Invest a truck. in medical technologies. Collect rare stamps. Go right now. What are you doing? Take whatever money's in your pocket and start investing in trucks. This is to all the SoundCloud rappers for when SoundCloud inevitably goes bankrupt. Collapses, yes. Uh, yeah, you need and to I diversify. And I guess that's when it removes all our podcasts. Yeah, that would suck. Um, save save those hard files for sure. Oh, yes. Um, right. Yeah, so they start a trucking company. Uh, they He spends <laughs> Earth, Maurice. Earth, wind, storage. Earth, wind, and storage. Wheels, wheels boxes, and, and <laughs> wheels, axles. Wheels, boxes, and motors. <laughs> um, he, he's not happy with the sound quality at the average. Of the uh, trucks. Of the trucks, yeah. The trucks have to sound amazing. No, he's not, he's not happy with the sound quality at the average venue, so he spends hundreds of thousands of dollars on a new custom top-of-the-line hi-fi stereo system that they bring with them, which I think is why they needed the trucks in the first They're place. They're like the fucking Metallica of 70s funk bands. And this is the best. Their stage setups get so complex that, uh, Maurice says, a few steps in the wrong direction at the wrong time, and it could be curtains. You could drop down a hole or get fried by the explosions. <laughs> this is when, to the best of my knowledge, the last of the Mohicans and the band gave up weed. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, man, you want to join? No, nah, I can't smoke anymore. Our live shows are too stressful. Yeah. I could die every night. Yeah, I, can't, I just can't be stoned when I could just blow up at any time. Here's a little clip of Earth, Wind, and Fire live in Brazil in 1980, which is Great. around this time, right? Great. Yes. Oh, 80s a little later. This is mid-70s. Yeah. Let's see how fast they're playing. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm seeing. Yes. Everybody on stage is wearing. Honestly, I mean, I don't want to be too reductive about the Wakanda stuff, but it kind sure. of looks like 
the the house disco band of Wakanda. Everybody's that's a, that's wearing a great like reference. everybody's wearing uh, like bright silver tasseled uh, vests, shiny boxy jackets with kind of African inspired patterns rhinestoned on them. Everybody's kicking in unison. Everybody's yes. swaying their guitar necks at the same time. Everybody's stepping together. There's a guy behind 70 Congos just going wild yeah. on all of them. I was watching a little bit of, of them in Japan around this time a little earlier Oh yeah, and skipped to the middle to watch a 10 minute drum off in the middle of this. It, cool. They seem like great shows. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, the shows look like they are absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, oh, he, and also just to be clear, they're like 25 people on stage. Great. I mean, after after Coachella this year, to me, it's just like the more people on stage, the better. Yes. If you have if you have fewer than 15 people on stage. Look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a motherfucking ska boy. <laughs> I, I like a, I like a horn section in any band. <laughs> I just saw a tweet that was like everyone. Everyone is cops to being emo, but no one is admitting to having a ska, uh, a ska phase. Oh, I'll admit that ska phase. Yeah. I, I wasn't on the ska chat rooms alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says that at this point in the mid seventies, their audiences are 40% black, 60% white. Mm-hmm. So almost equilibrium, a little more white. Um, and he's, he says they're regularly outgrossing I mean, Elton John and the Eagles at these yes. venues, um, which is pretty dope. Uh, again, and I think that it's like, I mean, this is like the popular mistake, but you know, those might be end up being the more critically acclaimed bands. But this is like the something fun for everyone band. Yeah, and I'd say like the you know, I think the like the sixty forty split is, if anything, just evidence of their widespread popularity. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, that's that's in a way, it's like a breakthrough, just given the relative populations of people. Yes, yes, it's like a big pop cultural breakthrough we'll we'll talk a little more in a bit about the sort of pitfalls of being a crossover artist oh yes i'm interested in that discussion uh their next album all in all 1977 this is the sort of more latin flavors are inspired by maurice getting really really burnt out and taking some time off and hanging out in brazil and having a blast great uh the big one off of this one is fantasy which Uh, i would love to listen to okay here's a little bit of fantasy Oh, yeah. Gotta have that de- definite chief aim. No, no one can erase your fantasy. The anecdote that I love about this song is that this song is apparently massive in Japan. Sure. Uh, Maurice says that it has become a Japanese national anthem or secular hymn of sorts. <laughs> they play it often at sporting events. Oh, yeah. Wow, they picked up the vibration. <laughs> and I just want you to listen to this and think... This kind of makes sense. Can you imagine hearing this as a sporting event? It's about like fulfilling your person, destiny, like being is, the best true. person you can be. I mean, I get it. I just imagine the guy who wrote this hearing Japanese people play this at a sporting event and be like, yes, those guys get it. They get up the vibration. They, I was trying to write a sports anthem. All <laughs> those people writing, <laughs> playing Seven Nation Army or Rock and Roll Part 2. No, they don't get what a sports anthem is like. Imagine being at like a Rangers game and they make a, a, a goal and this is the song that comes on. Oh my God. I just, I love, yeah, no, sports sports anthems in America are like 
crunching, driving, masculine. And this is like just this fancy you did free the song. Thing you want. Yeah. Get it done. Well, I love it. <laughs> I love you. Sports. Play tennis as hard as you can. <laughs> I believe in you. I get that. It also sounds a little bit like uh, the closing song to any manga. Yeah, or not no. manga, any anime. Well, I, I feel like it might be a spiritual cousin of the Pokemon theme song. <laughs> Got You got to catch them all. You, you got to catch them That's all. That's your fantasy and no one can take that away I want to be you. the very best, the best that ever was. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, we finally, we made it, we made it to the, the special day in the ninth month of the year. Oh, well, first I should say that this is obviously we are getting into the disco times. Maurice takes the time to say that he does not care for disco. Uh, he thinks it is trite pedestrian boring and predictable now i was uh, kind of waiting to hear what their thoughts on a disco because i was thinking as we listened to this album all in all those last two songs came out of in 1977 um mm-hmm. you know i would i was kind of hedging my bets because I, I i could kind of half imagine you saying that they were like oh yeah disco we love that and we really felt that that uh, suited our style of music but i was kind of thinking like it's interesting how their sound really fits in with that era even though they're continually doing exactly what they had been doing you know mm-hmm. and they're not really they don't like those last two songs aren't like quote the earth wind and fire disco songs they're yeah. like clearly still earth wind and fire songs i'm sure that they got dance floor play because you can kind of spin those things into a disco set but yeah. they're not doing disco songs right and i find that you know interesting admirable i mean i'm a big disco fan so yeah he i think you know him saying it's predictable like he just he loves the polyrhythms, and so I feel like he thinks that well, disco is just a little bit rhythmically. He also loves the pop song configuration of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, taking it up, taking it down. Yeah. Uh. So yes, now now we've gotten to that special month of uh, the special day of the special month. Uh, September. The anecdote I would like to shake share here is that he co-wrote it with um a songwriter named Ali Ale Willis. Um, he says that she detests the body hook, uh, like is in near tears because basically she just wants there to be words because she's a songwriter. Oh yes. <laughs> she's like, this is like filler. Uh, you know, I can't like, I don't want to put my name on this. Like, let's just come up with something better. And Maurice is like, no, uh, he says, I couldn't get her to understand that good music is all about the vibe. And some, some things work better toward the vibe than others. So he was just like, this is, I'm not going to let words get in the way of this simple uh, sound coming out of their mouths. I would also like to share that Allie Willis uh, wrote I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts. Wow. 30 years later. Are you serious? When I Googled Allie Willis, you know what the autocomplete was? Net worth. (laughs) 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 She's probably loaded. Just between those two songs. September and I'll Be There there For for You. you. Wow. Huge champ. And you know what? Maurice knows how to pick them talent wise too. That's true. One thing. And like, she, wow, I, that's a big zag for this app. I would never have guessed of all the songs. Earth, wind and fire is one degree away from the friends theme. What I also want to know is like the Rembrandts recorded that in what? 1993 or four. Um, I assume they were a bunch of white guys in their mid twenties. Uh, Allie's white too. Uh, but she, Yet the song was written by a woman in her probably like 50s. <laughs> I just think that's, I don't know, it's kind of funny. I mean, yeah. Well, goddamn. Should we revisit that special day? Yeah. The greatest day? Yeah. 
the number one day of September itself, at least. Definitely. I think it's the best day in September. Probably the best. We certainly know what the worst day in September is. <laughs> yeah, the first. I hate going back to school. <laughs> the song really benefits from a really hype opening. Yeah. You're getting ready. You know what's coming. You know when it's going to be. This is like a top bounciest song of all time. It's it's just a perfect. You had to record that and be like, we did we did a good job today, boys. Listen <laughs> to the tone on that guitar, how rubbery it is. I mean, yeah, can you imagine something else being said there besides body uh? Here's a dark confession. I always thought that those were actual lyrics that I just didn't understand. <laughs> something like, like, party on. Party on. Party this September. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. In, until this actual recording in which you confirmed that they are body does. Yes. Uh, that I've always thought that those were real words. Anyway, this song rules. So does that make it a, a Mondegreen then? A Mondegreen? Mondegreens are mis, like misheard lyrics. The, I it, guess. There's a There's a long story behind it, but... It's hard to think of this song out of the context of it being a song woven into the very essence of popular culture. Yeah, the very uh, fabric of the universe. Because when you try to listen to it and think of it in isolation as just a one-off song, every part of it is amazing. But also it is just like a song you hear at every fucking wedding, <laughs> a song that you hear at every you know bar mitzvah, middle school dance, that type of thing, mm. that's like so built into like the corniest parts of life Yes, that it's hard to really recognize the DHM is now Rogers say the yeah. deep hidden, me- hidden meaning in that, that it is very textually good. And if you sit down and really stay with it for a while, you're like, wow, this is a band that really knows what it's doing. It's kind of like how, you know, in the concept of basic, basic things are basic because they're good. Yes. Like vanilla ice cream is good. Uh, how to lose a guy in 10 days. Great movie. Is it? Um, yes. Have we watched it together? Yes. Okay. I think I've fallen asleep because it is woven into the fabric of my universe. Uh, you know, Ugg boots are comfortable. Yeah. And then this song rules, which yeah. is why it just kind of became yes. everywhere. Yes. There's a reason it's been played at every gathering of more than 20 people of more than 10 years apart of ages <laughs> for the last 40 straight years. Uh, yeah. This would be a, a fun one to play at a party where everyone is like 29. Yeah. Um, I think it would, but I think it would still. I think everybody would love it. Yeah. Uh, I might do that at karaoke next time we we do it. I would like you to do this. All right. Glad that glad we got that. So that song comes out and it just like in its time was it just huge? Yeah. It, like they are essentially the biggest band in the world because of that song for like one summer. But and because it, it, they built toward being yes. the biggest band in the world uh, and that song sort of crowned, crowned so them like off. Summer 1979, Earth, Wind and Fire, just everywhere. Yeah. And then of course, you know, things, things start to change as they do. Time marches on. Uh, um, as, as Boogie Nights does, 1979 turns into 1980 and things start getting dark. Things get dark real fast. Um, so Maurice 
acknowledges kind of in the midst of all their success, there's what he calls a black tax, like because they are a black group, they are never technically on the same playing field as white artists. Um, for example, they are so musically diverse that uh, everyone just sort of boils down what they're doing as funk. Mm -hmm. And he takes personal offense to that because they have pulled influences from all of these places. And yeah, he was a jazz guy starting. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, jazz funk. Yeah. When perhaps if it were a white band doing a multi hyphenated genre mm -hmm. situation, uh, they would be treated with a little bit more nuance. Yes. Um, and within the industry and inside the band, Maurice basically gets a, a reputation of being, as he says, a bit of a highbrow. Um, and that's because he he brings in all he wants is to write good songs. He doesn't care who's making them as long as they are the best people to make them. So he hires white people and black people. And some of the black men in his band are like, why are you hiring these white guys? Uh -huh. So like he hires David Foster, eventual multi-Grammy crazy super successful songwriter, David Foster, mm -hmm. because he's good. Um, the white songwriter of September. Yes. But uh, he, yeah, exactly. But uh, he, this does not necessarily put him in good graces with Are his there, bandmates. When they play live, does the band become non all black? Uh, I think he, I think he does not do that. I cannot say for sure though. Okay. I, th and I definitely think he hires session musicians sometimes mm -hmm. who are white. Uh, and songwriters and sometimes uses like white concert promoters. It's, you know, yeah. his concern is just who's, who's going to do High right by the band. Yeah. Um, the music industry sort of hits a slump by 1980 um, and sales are down overall. Uh, this kind of fucked up thing happens where, so they're signed to CBS at the time there. I don't know how much you know about this. I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about this and I'm not sure if I still fully understand it, but part of a record label's budget was for independent promotion. This was basically a way to get... So Earth, Wind & Fire was still a crossover act, meaning that they had to get on black radio before they could get on white mainstream radio. Did not matter how big they got, September, I'm pretty sure, was on black radio first. Then if it proved successful there, then it could cross over. And one way to make it successful was to sort of grease the wheels by paying... So it was basically like payola. Yes. But you paid money to smaller black independent radio stations to play, to play shit yeah. and then it would make its I mean, way it's to kind of been like a stage. feature of the radio industry for in various ways for the entirety of its lifetime and the entire the entire time of like corporate music and so when music sales slow people are looking at their books and they're like oh independent promotion is costing us an ass ton of money oh wait earth wind and fire is huge let's use them as an example uh, to try to prove that we don't need to do independent promotion because record uh, radio stations will be forced to play Earth, Wind & Fire music no matter what because people like it and it's yeah. good. And we're just like, absolutely fucking not. Uh, like, don't like don't turn my band into your example. Mm -hmm. um, why are you testing this on us and not a white artist? Mm -hmm. Which is totally valid. Um, and that's the kind of shit that they had to deal with. So uh, they released an album in 1980. Uh, called Faces, which is like a flop. Uh, Let's the album cover of this looks like the promotional material for a cult. Cool. It's uh, 20 people all in white cloaks with a uh, black pyramid middle void with a white light shining in the middle of it. Uh, this looks like something that's going to induct me into something that I am uh, 
<laughs> that is eventually going to encourage me to commit uh, ritual suicide with them. Um, yeah, the vibe of this album cover is definitely like, we're still here and we still love you and you should still come with us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of sweet though. I kind of like it, but it's also definitely has, um, what do you, what's the, um, the Scientology book that gets dianetics. you in the door? It's got some dianetics. Yeah, it's got dianetics vibes. Vibes. So yeah, he kind of tastes the sort of bitterness of having the first single off uh, an album bomb and then sort of ruining the chances for the album's success. They do get another hit and kind of get restoked when Let's Groove hits in 1981. Inaugurates their electronic period. Yes. Period. And I will also say he he's like, I'm kind Ray's, of bored of horns. I want to start experimenting mm-hmm. with synths because Ray, it's the 80s. Rays, by the way, back to the Egyptian iconography, much better cover. Cool. And you've heard this song too. <laughs> Are you, you saying know, you, the, the, the audience? Yeah. yeah. So the way he talks about this is that it's like a post disco song that it's appreciated after mm-hmm. disco has already died. I don't necessarily know if I hear it as a disco song, but maybe I'm just too, uh, my ears aren't right. I imagine maybe what he's talking about is that this song hits in like the dance circuit mm, yeah. of the time. It is called Let's Groove. Meanwhile, they are dealing with some other racist bullshit uh, in the form of MTV. MTV comes on the scene. Oh my God, you can watch a, a visual representation of music, mm-hmm. you know, hear it and watch it. Um, but they don't play black artists at all for the first two years of their existence. And, um, oh, who does he say? Rick James. He says Rick James is a, was a sort of big spearheader of uh, MTV. Why aren't you playing uh, black artists? And he says that the timing is such that, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire basically kind of needed mm-hmm. something to stoke. To, go- to goose them again or put juice back in the thing. Because they've been around, been, like, they've been doing hits for like 10 years at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's like a decade. And MTV could have been the juice that they needed and they mm-hmm. didn't, they, they didn't give them the support. Um, even though they, so MTV was like, Bob Pittman was the uh, president. He's like, we don't play MOR artists, middle of the road artists. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, Maurice is like, that's garbage. You know, they're playing Blondie songs, which are sort of like funky, rocky, you know, why, why do white people get to play multi-genre or in ungenreable music yeah, they've got and Blondie black people doing don't. hip hop on MTV before they have black people doing it. Yeah, yeah. I definitely appreciate the the racialized aspect of that. I I I guess the only thing that I I would push back on is him taking exception to the phrase middle of the road yeah. and not in the terms of quality but in the terms of appeal. Sure. Sure. Because they yeah, they're pitching this huge range of like broadly popular music mm-hmm. that is extremely well produced and well made, mm-hmm. but ultimately covering the middle of the road. If you imagine trying to cover the broadest expanse of yes. the road of, of, as possible. It also does not, it technically doesn't sound like they put a ton of effort into making music videos, videos? at least not, not from the show. book. And I would, I was honestly shocked because I feel like they would have mm-hmm. really crushed it, but maybe they, you know, kind of saw the writing on the wall and, you know, and it also sounds like uh, Maurice is spending a ton of his own money on yes. on getting these visual elements in place. So it, it might have just not been in the picture at that point for them. Yes. 
what I find interesting about the sort of tail end of uh, this part of Earth, Wind & Fire's career is that it is so marred by the boundaries of genre, even as mm. he's trying so hard to have this band be everything to everyone and that the whole the whole point is the the uplift of fucking society and this is an argument that not an argument this is a an idea that i think is going to become less and less relevant over time the longer the internet exists of like you are this kind of thing so we are going to sell you in this section of the store and play you on this radio station that is all completely dissolved not completely dissolved it is dissolving and will continue to dissolve well by the way, we're listening to Freedom of Choice off of their 1982 album, Power Light. Hell yeah. This almost has like a Prince feel to it. Uh, Maurice was called up uh, by his record label to produce Prince's first album. And Prince was like, thank you, but no. Like, I am producing my own album. <laughs> Isn't the producer on Prince's first album just like some Minneapolis record guy who just like happens to be able to turn on all the equipment in the room? <laughs> And then, like, Prince just does every other thing on the album. Do they get, do you have to give them that credit of, like, I hit the buttons? Yeah, the guy, like, guy who unlocks door yeah. for Prince. <laughs> I think okay. there is, like, a producer on Prince's first album, but he does every other thing on it. Amazing. Um, I think this is kind of a I think this is groovy. Uh, counterpoint, I think bifurcation, bifurcation isn't, isn't the right word, multiplication of genre continues very strongly today um because you know in the 60s and 70s you could be like earth wind and fire and be a rock band mm -hmm. basically even if you're separated by the the racial hierarchies of the music industry you're mm -hmm. considered you know this act in the same realm as like elton john and you know big headlining rock acts mm -hmm. and then I think that music since the eighties gets more and more genreized and people start thinking about how you sell music in terms of these specific niche genres, whether it's like the rise of hip hop or the split between rock quote unquote and alt rock, even mm -hmm. though alt rock at this point is the only thing that exists. Like name me a band that's sold as rock, a popular band that's sold as rock and not as alt rock, like every popular right. rock band, every is popular an -rock, yeah. rock band. Like but even Borns is an alt rock, rock band, even though yeah, they are yeah. essentially a rock band. Uh, yeah. So yes, and then that keeps going on and on, and then you have all these. Now we have all these different streams of music where you can be an extremely popular, like indie punk band. I don't know, like a band like Pup or something <laughs> that's like popular in their niche, but would have like no even uh, awareness in a niche you know, two niches over of yeah. like mainstream alt rock, you know, if yeah. you're a, a fan of, I, I don't, I don't fucking know uh, where, what is even the good pool here? Like 21 pilots or something. You like theoretically are a fan of rock music, but do many of those people know, you know, a, a more like indie punk band like that, you know, it, yeah. things are, I feel like the trajectory of modern music has been this split off into niches that made it incredibly hard to be a crossover hit. And now, it's more and more like trying to just be a hit within your niche and all the niches mm. are big enough to kind of support their own micro ecosystems of hits, which is why like my friends in Chicago can be like, I think fairly successful being like a tape noise psych act uh -huh. that is at the top of the tape noise psych act yeah. game, but doubtfully have any crossover hit shout out. Good Will Smith. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's atomized. 
But I think, you know, just in terms of like, if you are recording an album and you're like, this is who we are. And then the market is like, no, you're not. Yes. I feel like that doesn't maybe happen as much anymore. You're right. It probably still happens. I mean, all that matters increasingly is finding, to women and, yeah. and people of color. Yeah. But I mean, it happens as if you find your audience and the market market's like, oh, yeah, you're that thing. And now you're a pop act. Right. Yeah. 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 By 1983, uh, Maurice says he's like he's fully bored with R&B and he's interested in these sort of Euro synth sounds, which results in Electric Universe, which is a flop. Uh, and it, at this point, it kind of seems like he he's sort of still trying to innovate and dredge these new sounds from within himself and from the band. And the market is just like, lol, no. See, I think Electric Universe might end up being my favorite This See, is like, extremely this sounds... goofy, uh, like 80s Euro pop. This is also extremely my jam. I think that this might follow the sort of code of every artist, what they consider their biggest kind of commercial and failure and like creative expression that doesn't match how people receive it mm-hmm. is sort of like the rap album from yes. Thin Lizzy <laughs> and how like that actually sounded great. Yes. I mean, reappraised, I think that this is good. And I think it's. Uh, notable that some of the albums that you have said are uh, their biggest flops are the ones that are appear on Spotify as the remastered expanded editions mm-hmm. also you can tell what they were trying to go out for this song because this song appears on this album as magnetic the title track magnetic what we're listening to now the extended dance remix mm. magnetic the instrumental and magnetic the seven inch version nice <laughs> it's like one of those mid-80s dance releases that were like we gotta release this in seven formats to figure out how DJs want to play it (laughs) how many inches you want seven (laughs) eight nine this This is great I kind of of love this 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 is wonderful to me and I, I just, you know, I appreciate when people don't stagnate uh, yeah. in their tastes because that means that you're not dead. This is another great album cover from them. It's kind of like a UFO tractor beam and kind of a digital star spiral uh, cloudscape. It's great. To take it back to Maurice loving UFOs, once again, I would just like to remind everyone that he writes this stuff. And yet there it's to it's with such an attitude of like, yeah, this is what I was into and I think it's great. Not like, hey, can I tell you about UFOs? <laughs> Whenever this Tom Delonge novel comes out, it's gonna be wild. But I just it's amazing that he has written an incredibly spiritual book, and yet it is so much about the internal journey and he's sharing these things and it's not like you have to do this or let me let me bring you in on the truth yeah 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 oh it's great um so he reflects on this time and this is basically at the end of earth wind and fire's kind of first uh go at things so he disbands the band in 1983 and he says i had had so much success and my so-called failures threw me I was wrongly clinging to an idea that outward success had something to do with my inner value. This was a complete breakdown of my spiritual work. Spirituality is like an always moving dimmer switch. Your light is either getting brighter or darker. It does not stay static. So he's, you know, just like, you know, certain people just trying to work in the media industry and have a sense of self-esteem. You are not your work, Maurice White. He's still a human being just trying to make it. I think that is a good note for all of us. Yeah. You are not your work. 
I, it's a really, especially when you're working in even marginally creative fields, it's, it's so hard to remove how you value what you create and how you're being compensated for the thing that you value that you create from like your overall identity as a human. Yeah, especially since he started Earth, Wind and Fire as a band that wanted he wanted to express how he feels about God, love, life, <laughs> music, and then you make that music and mm-hmm. the world says, eh. Well, especially when it gets when the music gets more and more and more popular as you make it and you're feeling constantly affirmed by those missions that you set out to accomplish. And then when it stops happening, you can't help but give that one-to-one feeling mm-hmm. of, oh, this is because I'm not making music that exemplifies God, life, right. love. I'm not doing it right. Yeah. So he, the band is is done at this point, and he kind of, this is you know a similar, a familiar theme in this sort of tail end of memoirs of just like, what do I do now that I'm not <laughs> in this band? You know, do I do a solo album? Oh, I hate, I hate doing PR, um, and, so this solo album does not do well. And the band's over, but he's like, set right like he's getting royalties from all these monster hits that continue on past the band he's pretty he's pretty good although he's i think he's gotten himself in quite a lot of debt that from all the stage shows and stuff (laughs) constantly buying props which he says that it's honestly it's not until the earth wind and fire reunite in the mid 90s that they do a couple tours in japan where Earth, Wind, and Fire is big in Japan, and this gets them financially, all of them financially solvent again. Hell yeah. The Japanese have single-handedly uh, fixed all of their bank accounts. Thank you, Japan, for supporting our slightly wa- washed-up artists who still deserve love. Yes. Um, in 1990, he is he basically has had been having tremors, and he gets diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Oof. He is lucky to find out that it is a, he has a, it's slowly progressing. Like sometimes you can get diagnosed and like, you're basically done in a couple Mm -hmm. of years, but they're like, no, it's progressing slowly. Uh, but he hides it from the public for, um, 10 years. Wow. So it's increasingly difficult for him to perform. Um, he kind of has to take a permanent, more or less permanent hiatus while he's trying to figure out his medications while also not publicly, publicly performing in a way that might out him as having Parkinson's the whole thing. Um, uh, what else? So he hides it basically until they get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the year 2000. So at this point, like Earth, Wind and Fire, he's basically, he stepped away. He's still kind of leading the band. Like he's still in he's the, the band. Creative lead, Creative director. Um, he says the award makes him realize that the band had indeed gained a transcendent respect. Um, and, uh, Earth, Wind and Fire plays for, uh, President Obama in 2009 Maurice doesn't play um, but, but Obama sure apparently there. asks his brother he's like where's Maurice and Verdine is like oh he's back in LA Obama's like oh man Maurice isn't here that's a huge bummer <laughs> I was expecting Maurice <laughs> he's I'm, my favorite imagine imagine being the president and inviting the band to play at the White House and the guy that you wanted from the band doesn't show up. <laughs> well, profound like, disappointment. Uh, I am uh, the president and I thought that the guy that I said would be here would be here. <laughs> well, I guess I can't do it all. <laughs> when I'm president in 30 years and I'm like, I'm so happy to have Haim here with me. Oh, wait, Esty's not here? <laughs> it's just Danielle and Alana? Where's, where's Esty? Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> 
My favorite. This barbecue is canceled. <laughs> this super fun presidential barbecue is canceled. <laughs> Obama was the only one to have a uh, fun, fun presidential barbecue. Hey, remember when the hip hop barbecue was a scandal? <laughs> remember when <sighs> Obama invited Common, the rapper who's most like, hey, guys, wonder if people were good to each other <laughs> to have a barbecue at the White House and conservative media spent like four weeks excoriating him for having a quote hip hop barbecue at the white house. Remember when that was the kind of scandal common could basically like he could host a PBS morning show. Yes. Like that's the level that's his vibe. Yes. (laughs) Dangerous common. Oh my God. A terror. Uh, I also just feel like asking being Obama and asking for earth, wind and fire to come visit and play is your sort of like personal make a wish. <laughs> but you're, but you're like not sick. Just being like, wait, so I get to run the country, uh, like just drone a bunch of people. And then like, I can have whatever band I want. I think that within I would, reason, I think I would be a very good and responsible and judicious president. Uh, but I would constantly make people come and visit me make famous and and like weird randos that I, I thought were interesting to come and do their thing at the white house. What's the, what's the budget for this? Like, I assume you don't get paid like a fee. Oh no. I, I do you think, think they do. Oh yeah. I bet the people who come to play at the white house get fees. You're telling me my tax dollars are paying for, for Earth, Wind and fire and not, burgers? and not even the good one <laughs> to play for Obama. <laughs> Tyranny. Earth, Wind and fire gets their due. Uh, I mean, they've they've been getting their due. They're one of the biggest brands in the world, but they continue to be recognized in these sort of legacy type ways. Uh, wait, wait, can I play a, a quick track that I just found off one of their later albums? Please. Uh, this is off 2005's Illumination. This is in their late late period when Maurice is getting less and less. But this yes. track features Sleepy Brown, Sleepy Brown, Big Boy, Ooh. and Kelly Rowland. This is extremely 2005. You know who else appears Ooh. on this album? Ooh. Will I Am. Oh, Will I Am. The def- definitely a child of of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes. There's your girl, Kelly. This is kind of how they persist into the aughts. Mm-hmm. I imagine it would be an honor to be any one of those uh, any one of those guests. Yeah. Get the call. It's like a fog hat asked me to play bass on something, I'd be like, yeah, of course, obviously. Yeah, I can't, I can't say no to that. I'm just also scaling it down to a band that, a legacy band from the 70s that I feel like would be in the realm that I would feel honored to be that, in. That would be your your go-to would be like a fog hat guess. Yeah, kind of like a fog hat type guess. Mine would be like if Patti Smith was like, can you yell in the background of one of my poems? I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I would definitely do that. That's my that's my 70s uh, guest desire. Um the book ends as it does. Um, so Maurice actually passed away during the making, the writing of the book with his co-writer. Oh. Um, so he, this was February 2016, and the book came out in September 2016. Uh, he ends the book. And he says, "Did it come out on the?" Wait, how did I miss this? Jesus, do you remember the day this book was released? <laughs> September 13th. <sighs> Damn, that that would have been super, super sweet. I'm all disappointed. Uh, but he ends the book. He says, for the majority of my life, for the majority of my life, I believe that Earth, Wind, and Fire was my gift to humanity. Now, I believe that Earth, Wind, and Fire was humanity's gift 
to me. Oh. Uh, it's, it's music healed me. It gave me a life passion, a passion that fueled my determination to want to uplift humanity in some way. And I think I did that. I think you did that too. I think you did that as well. I think that Earth, Wind & Fire will have many songs that will persist down the line into, again, the fabric of pop culture and music. Um, and I think that it is important to recognize that these how big some of these bands were that kind of receded back even as the texture of their music became integrated with, you know, through sampling, as I was mm-hmm. mentioning earlier, or just the persistence of some of these pop songs that we may think of as cheesy, but we only know so well because they were that good mm-hmm. at the time and throughout the ages. And also how much sort of stigma and bullshit they were having to fight in order to even be taken seriously because yeah. of institutionalized racism. Yeah, to even be taken seriously and just to like get to that level of, you know, cool, normal, fun band mm-hmm. that puts out cool, you know, fun, normal songs. Having a, having a normal song. Having a normal song. Singing a normal song. That that has to be a real struggle for for people like Maurice. Yeah. He's and the la- the last thing I'll leave you with is that, you know, he was a band leader. He had to constantly keep together a massive operation uh by this the strings of his sheer force being. of will. His sheer force of will. And he was a great I think it sounds like he was a good boss. He see <laughs> he called himself the motivator in chief. Uh I think, you know, this is the first band leader we have done on the podcast. And I think that it it sounds like his sort of work ethic and uh, uh, good vibes kept the band together as long as it possibly could before sort of fracturing into the usual band. And he maintained his healthy diet throughout his life, right? Beet juice. Beet juice. Beet juice. Beat up the juice. Mm. (sighs) It was a dense book, Chris. A a dense book. How was it? How was the book as a book? It was good. Yeah. I felt I felt moved. You were moved? Yeah, I was moved. Let's move confidently into the end of the episode. Great. Uh, I I feel more appreciative of this band. Every time we end up doing one of these and then I hear the band later, I'm like, my boys. Yeah, my friends. My friends. <laughs> September. <laughs> my friends. Earth, Wind, and Fire. My close personal friends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so it's, it's always a journey. Uh, speaking of friends, I do want to give a brief little shout out to uh, the first, our, our first fan that we've seen in the wild. This was uh, a <laughs> bean who we met at bar trivia, who, who mentioned us online and said that he was listening to us waiting for a bar trivia in Williamsburg to start. Uh, and then we ended up being at that bar trivia by complete coincidence later that day. And mm-hmm. uh, un- unfortunately for him crushed his team in bar trivia. So if you mention us online, we'll come to your bar and crush you in your trivia. It's not Chris's fault that he knows so much about horses. <laughs> I do know stuff about horses, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I do want to shout out Bean for also being for being our first fan and also the name of my favorite fan of Frank Zappa's uh, as uh, revealed in this clip from live Zappa's live in New York classic track titties and beer. Come on. I'm only interested in a couple of things. Wait, is that a note for me? Somebody passing me a note. What does this say? Frank, please do me a favor. I can't find a brother of mine. I could dig it. If you could call him from stage, his name is dirty. Tom nomads MC signed. Thanks bear or bean. I can't tell. Well, if he's out there, Dirty Tony, D-Law Nomads, 
MC. Get in touch with Bean or Bear. And as I was saying, Devil, I'm an average sort of a person. So thank you, you Bear and or Bean. Uh, hope you meet up with your friends, uh, Dirty Tony De La Nomads MC. But while you're searching for the Nomads MC, you can follow us on Twitter at andintropod or, or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. Our SoundCloud is at us always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro. Dash. Pod. Sorry, I stepped on your cue there. You hopped I'm on my dash terrible, real hard. I'm a terrible band leader. One of us would have <laughs> dropped into a pit in Maurice White's uh, stage setup. So stoned. I got fried by a flash pot. Uh, remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you should rate and review us, and you should rate and review us too. Uh, thank you for all the people who have ra- rated us. Uh, I noticed that our ratings went up. It's very nice to see. And also comment there, but only leave a comment if you have a really positive one to the guy who said that we uh, um, that we were inaccurate in our research because we played a fish song that was actually a Stevie Wonder cover. Uh, it was still fish playing a song, and thus we can comment on the musical style of fish. Okay. Wait. Oh no, I didn't realize someone got mad about no, our. I promise I'm not going to pedantically point out every uh, negative comment on the iTunes page, even though I see them. We see them all. Them all. I, you see them all. I didn't I see that. That really harshed my vibe for the rest of the night. No, we're just going to get harsh vibes. We have to listen to some quality fish songs uh, to mellow it back still out. still sounds like a fucked up carnival. I don't care what song they're covering. Ben Ferky is right about fish. Just straight up. He's yeah. correct. Yep. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you stick around. I hope you're a fan from the Kanye episode keeping with us. We're still having a great time to do this. Next episode is our one year anniversary and we will be Whoa. thematically returning two roots uh see if you can figure out what that means to maybe uh prep for um that that app so uh until then uh i'm chris i'm molly and see you in two weeks on and introducing Introducing.